If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This week, we're going to be diving in and talking about hunting thick country for vocal animals. Now, thick country can be pretty tough to hunt, but it can also be super productive and hold really good numbers of game if you can find them. While hunting in heavy cover definitely has its challenges, there's an exception that if you happen to be hunting a vocal species, for example, an elk, red deer, rusa, or even turkeys, that during their breeding season, you have a major advantage because they actually call out and let you know where they're at. But just because you can hear them, it doesn't make it easy. So many times as you move in, you just seem to be maybe one step behind. Or you can't find the right mix of the balance between moving fast enough to catch up, but slow enough not to spook what you're chasing in that thick cover with limited visibility. There's also the problem of animals responding to your call from maybe afar, but then as you move in, they start to pipe down or take off as you get close. This week, I'm going to cover some nuances to hunting vocal animals in thick timber and strategies you can use to move in and find success. But before we do that, you're going to come into the field with me as I share the story of this past week's hunt for roaring red stags in central Argentina. This week's story, you're going to come down with me to the La Pampa region of Argentina. Uh, I was down there this past week hunting for red deer and it's during the roar so on the southern hemisphere the seasons are opposite so that'd be very similar to uh, north american september it's when you know our elk rut in september the red deer rut what would be kind of the similar time frame and it's known as the roar so instead of making a bugle red deer red stag would make this roar sound which i guess could be kind of uh if you've never heard it before it's kind of a cross between what i think of as like a moo cow like a beef cow and a lion in 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 a strange way it sounds uh, something kind of like so it's kind of a good example of a roar uh, this trip i actually had planned um, a couple years back but unfortunately just with border closures and everything was unable unable to do and finally was able to go down there and, and experience the roar in Argentina uh, for myself. And so this particular area that we're hunting, uh, very flat kind of country. So not a lot of undulations, not a lot of glassing, and super thick. If you're a Western big game hunter, you'd kind of think of it like really dense P90 
pinion juniper country where it's just thick trees and very low visibility. Now, many other times of the year, they'd be very difficult to hunt here. And although there's good deer populations and good numbers, it'd just be loud, hard to sneak through, hard to find a deer, get eyes on it, judge it, and then make a shot. But fortunately, this time of year, it's the breeding season, running activity, and the deer calling. They're making noise, they're roaring, and that allows you to be able to pinpoint the stags, move in, and hopefully get eyes on them and assess them and maybe get a shot. So it's a really exciting time to hunt. For those of listeners in the South Pacific or in the Southern Hemisphere, you're already used to knowing that the roar is probably one of the most exciting and best times of the year for us um you know if you're if you hunt other vocals animals it'd be like if you're a turkey hunter this is the springtime you know this is when they're doing their breeding and the animals are the most and the animals are most vocal it's very similar to the elk rut in september it's just a really exciting time because the animals are interacting and you get to hear animals and hunt country that's kind of very difficult to hunt other times a year and there can be a lot of really exciting action. So the first day went out and um, this particular area, a, a friend of mine was showing us around his area that he hunts and, and does some guiding. And so we go in and it's just one of those scenarios. I feel like this happens a lot to me. So we're, we've got stags roaring in, out in front of us and the wind's blowing, I, I think from the north that day. And so what they're doing is like they're, they're kind of ra- ra- like rounding up their hinds and then pushing them into the wind. So they're constantly moving into the winds. So it's kind of a pr- pretty much most animals do this as a measure of protection. And then they can also be moving and trying to jockey and move the hinds from other stags and whatever. Because as soon as that sun comes up or starts to come up, it's like competition starts. The roars start going off. And there is... I don't even know how many deer in front of us. And just roar here, roar here, roar here. So we're trying to decipher which roar kind of sounds the most mature, which one has the deepest bellow, which one sounds the most you know active, and go after that one. So we're moving in, and we're kind of we've got this roar off to our left, and this this what sounds like a multiple uh, stags roaring up in front of us. And what we're thinking is, okay, there definitely sound like a good roar in there. Plus, there's a lot of them together. So there's probably some hinds, a lot more activity. And this might be kind of what I would consider the nucleus of the action, where everything is going down right here. And all the other stags want to be a part of that. So we start moving in. And out of the corner of my eye, I actually catch a, uh, a stag. I'm like, okay, like, get down. And he happens to be moving in our direction. So we're in between where that one was calling from before. And now this kind of nucleus. And so this, this other, what I would consider maybe a, you know, a, a satellite stag is, is now moving in. So we get set up, we get into position. And sure enough, this guy comes like right in tight. You don't, we don't have a lot of visibility here. And we happen to be in a little bit more open area where you can see maybe 50 yards. And there's a lot of trees in there as well. And he comes right into just point blank range, sees uh, something's weird, starts to go away. And I give him a roar and it's like, he kind of keeps looking and I'm thinking, is a nice stag. I mean, he had five points on one side, six on the other, like, you know, a pretty mature animal, maybe four years old or something like that. And one of those ones you're like, okay, I'd probably shoot this one, but also I want to see what else is around. I don't want to end the hunt right now. I want to kind of 
keep looking around and had um yeah, I wanted to I, I definitely wanted to look for a good mature stag and I had a tag and I just wanted to you know find the best animal that I could and I had quite a few days to hunt around so um I just wasn't ready to, to fill the tag so I decided to pass on him that that first day and of course it's like the first five minutes and what would be probably one of the like cleanest encounters that we've had for the entire week because we I soon found out that in the thick stuff it became very difficult to to get film of things as well as you know get a shot and and getting close because everything was so close and so tight so as the week progressed you know the the, the stags were roaring really good. Uh, a couple days later, I got into a position where I had these two stags roaring back and forth to each other. So instead of calling, I just decided, all right, we're going to sneak in between them and then see if we can, you know, pinpoint which one's the better stag. So we move in and there's just like roars going off everywhere. It's just, it was, it was pretty awesome, pretty incredible. And we've got this one that is just, it's like cuts through you the sound. I don't know if you've experienced that. Maybe you elk hunt a little bit and you get this bugle. And when that bull just starts to grunt and do its check, it's just like you feel it deep inside. You go, whoa, okay, this is awesome. So we move in and we're, we're now between two deer and they're both just sound very angry and roaring at each other. And the one on the right doesn't have like this deep guttural sound like the one on the left so we go let's go after this one on the left turns out the one on the left was like an old regress stag i think he had two tines on the bottom like uh, brows and bay tines and then essentially just big spikes coming up off the top probably a really old mature animal but just um regressed or bad genetics or whatever so like okay instead of blowing that other deer out shooting this deer we're going to drop down and go see what that other roaring stag was and so move in and i catch the tops of his antlers and it's like it's a big stag he's got you know multiple points up top on his crown so if you're not familiar with like free range red deer i think a lot of people kind of get them confused with you know what maybe some of the ones that have been you know in like a high fenced area or whatever look like so a standard red stag antler configuration would be consider it like a five by five elk and then crown so it'll have that like six point kind of kicking off the side so instead of being in line you'll have a crown then they might get additional points to that so you'll have like your 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 standard six by six would be a 12 point and then you might get some 14s where they've got a couple extra points in there on those crowns Um, but you know for the most part very similar to like uh, the size of free range elk and kind of a general area is what i would i would kind of consider it as so when you're thinking about like what's a a big stag you know that that's kind of like your baseline and then this one that i moved in on was like had really good tops so maybe seven to eight points per side which is probably one of i would say that was definitely the biggest free range red deer i've had an opportunity to get in on so i see his antlers coming up i'm like okay this is awesome and I'm actually filming. So we're filming this. I've got two guys filming with me um, for, I, you've maybe you've seen it done like these um, great hunt series with Sako firearms. So I've got a rifle and then it's filmed. And sometimes filming yourself, it sounds difficult, but it's almost easier because what I can see and where I'm set up is one thing. But if there's a person in this thick cover, a foot to my right or a foot to my left or whatever they can't see what i can see so the stag pushes this hind up i've got a person to my right and then 
he gets behind a bush and the stag, the hind starts to move off and the stag starts to move into position. So I roar and he stops. I get him to stop perfect, right? Stuff behind his head. And so I'm like lined up, ready to shoot. I'm waiting like, hey, do you guys see him? No, no, I'm not on him. Well, it turns out that it was just hard to tell because the one that they could see, they, it was so thick, not sure whether we were looking at the same one or whatever. And then caught our wind and, and blew out of there. And that was the last we saw of that big stag. So fast forward a few days as, you know, we had a lot of encounters where we were chasing roars, chasing roars. And it's like, we never caught up to see what was actually roaring. Like it was just so thick. We'd have to, in order to even see him, maybe we'd have to get 10, 20 yards away. Um, doing a combination of calling to try to call him in as well as like just ambushing and sneaking in on him. Uh, trying to just get eyes on the ones that are roaring to each other because there's so many stags roaring in the mornings and, and actually in the evenings as well that you could kind of move in and go unnoticed and just stay quiet and let them roar to each other and then move in and try to get eyes on them. Um, but there's a lot of opportunities that we just never even got to lay eyes on the animals we were chasing because you know something would happen, they'd hear us, the, a hind would see us and bust. And so it was actually uh, a little bit, struggling it at first i'd say to get in and, and see all of the stags but we started to develop this kind of cadence of okay we know how fast we need to move to catch up to them we know when we need to slow down we know when we need to call we know when we need to be quiet we started getting in on a lot more deer so toward the end of the week uh, the morning started out the, the the roar started to kind of slow down it started to get hot and just like elk hunting you know as, it, as the temperature starts to get hotter and it gets later in the season the action kind of starts to slow down so the first part of the week the first three to four days were really on fire and then the last three or four days uh, the calling just kind of started to slow down so toward the end of the trip um i i don't remember what day it was exactly but uh it started in the morning and it was it seemed kind of slow like we didn't hear hear much calling and then one stag just started firing off so we moved in on him, and I could tell that he wasn't moving. What they'd generally been doing is moving into the wind. Uh, so they'd start in the morning, and we'd kind of be behind him or try to get in front of him, and they'd be moving into the wind, doing a little bit of a kind of a cheating the wind kind of thing where we side-angle the wind as they move into it, trying not to get winded but also not getting too far behind as they're moving in or, or going after hinds. And this, this particular one kept roaring like you could tell it wasn't moving. Like that's perfect. If we get that opportunity, that's going to be great. So, move in. I luckily it would just happen to be in one of the very few places where there was open enough to see very far, maybe a hundred yards, and I could see a I mean, hundred yards. You could see, but you definitely couldn't shoot through all the. There's a little bit of a burn and some other stuff. Stag roaring on the ridge. I go perfect. So we move in. He goes over the ridge. So we hustled to get to where he was at. We get behind this one bush. And he turned around and came back up the way that he came. So I see his antlers coming, and we're like, okay. So we get down behind the bush. And he walks right to the bush that we're at, like he's going to tear this bush up. And there's three of us hiding behind this bush that's probably the size of like a, I don't know, like if I stretched my arms out, it would have been as wide as my arms tip to tip and maybe uh, waist high. And we're sitting behind this thing. And so the sun's at his back, and it's shining in our eyes, and we've got, you know, cameras and optics and all this and he's like it's a really thick bush so he can't really see super well but he's stopped and he's just on the other side of it like arms length away like, all right so i'm like are you ready and i i 
take slowly click the safety off, ease around to where I can get a clear shot, boom. Get a shot, shoot the stag, and, and he just goes down. And it was uh, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Um, we had a lot of great encounters and just a really good hunt, um, especially when it comes, you know, I've, I've actually missed quite a couple of roars just because of traveling. You know, I, I generally spend a lot of this time in the South Pacific. So it was awesome to be able to go somewhere new, try hunting red deer in a different place and have a really good lot of roaring action. It was a lot of fun. And it's really fun to be able to chase animals in that thick country where other times a year they might be hidden and really hard to find. But when they become vocal, that becomes a really good place to target and have a really good hunt where you can get in close on animals and find and hunt animals that might be unhuntable other times a year. Hunting vocal animals in thick timber definitely comes with its challenges. I would say if you've hunted any amount of elk during the rut, you've probably encountered something where you feel like you're constantly chasing them, where it's like you're, you're behind them, they're right there, you hear them bugling, but you just can't get one to commit to you and you can't catch up to them. They're moving into the wind, you can't really cut them off, and then they just kind of ghost you. And what, what's probably happening in this scenario is they're feeding or they, they probably were feeding in the evening or early morning in the dark. As the sun starts to come up, then they start to go, well, the cows are probably going to want to eventually go to bedding, and the bulls are now going to start jockeying for those cows. So they're bugling, they're trying to take cows, they're trying to do their thing, and what's going to happen is they end up pushing the cows, and everybody's kind of chasing everyone. The cows are going in one direction, and the bulls are pushing them, and they're generally always moving into the wind because that way they can sense danger in front of them. Well, this provides kind of a problem for the hunter because you can't really get ahead of them and cut them off because the wind's going to be wrong. So you feel like you're constantly chasing them. You might be throwing out calls and they're calling back, but they're really interested in your calls because they got a lot going on here and they're going to stick to that until that kind of thing ends. And for the most part, it's very hard to catch up to them. Now, there's a few tactics you can use and most of it's just a lot of legwork and, and trying to catch up. But the trouble is, in the thick timber, you got to almost run to catch up with them, right? But there's so many other eyes and things around, and then you're moving fast, and you aren't able to pinpoint and pick out the, the animals that are looking out for you because there's way more of them than there is of you. And then you end up spooking them, and they get further away and further away, and, and you're constantly chasing the elk. So that's a problem that happens. I mean, I've had that happen with multiple calling species. So this isn't just particularly for elk for elk if you're south pacific under i mean i've had this happen with rusa um red red deer obviously red stag um, i mean this can even be something that happens uh, not in the same grand of scale but you know i i never like to associate elk hunting and turkey hunting but when you're talking about vocalized animals in covered timber there's a lot of tactics that just translate to all kinds of hunting you say it doesn't matter what it is um, i've had it happen with axis deer whatever just a lot of different animals that do this similar type of behavior where they're calling in thick timber and they end up doing this thing where you're kind of on them but they're they seem to just always be a step ahead and then they disappear so there's a few things that you can think about one of the things is this idea of calling versus not calling if you're a new elk hunter say 
right? And you get into the elk woods and you, you make a bugle and you hear bu- elk bugle and an elk bugles over here and you've got an elk bugling over here and across the ridge and these two elk are bugling back and forth. You've got this decision where you can make where you can say, okay, do I add my call into this mix right now? Do I bugle back and just be another bull in the herd? Maybe there's four bulls bugling. Do I need to be an elk bugling right now? Or can I let those two elk do the calling? And then I can be, uh, let's say, a silent participant using them to distract each other to move in on one or the other. And that can be a really effective tactic, especially if you aren't really confident in your calling skills or in the area you're in. As you move in, the animals kind of round up the cows or whatever they're with and push away. Not because they think you're a hunter, but because that's what they're going to do. They're, they hear the bull calling across the valley and that bull's almost like calling to this bull's cows and that bull's calling to this other bull's cows and they both maybe even have their own set of cows. But when they're further apart, they don't feel threatened. They're just calling and saying, I'm over here, I'm over here, I'm over here. Nothing's happening. But if you move in and, and let that bugle out, then they're going to say, ooh, this bull came to me. Now I got to round up my cows. I got to move and we got to start pushing away. And then the chase is on, which can be an effective tactic if you can keep up. But it's also not a tactic for everyone. So when it comes to my personal style, I love to call. I love to be vocal. I love to interact with that animal I'm calling. And I look for those ones that I can call in. But it's not always the best tactic to play, especially if you have two animals that are keeping each other talking. The thing about hunting in the thick timber is you can't really use other things like glassing tactics. You can't really use, um, you can use still hunting tactics, but you know, it, it can be few and far between long days between finding animals. When they're calling, you know where they are. So as long as they're calling, you can pinpoint them and move in. And it really provides an advantage for you because they don't know that you're coming and you know where they are. So I would say there's a lot of scenarios where two animals are calling. I mean, if you're uh, especially because it's springtime here in the States. If you're a turkey hunter and you've got, uh, think about the roost, and you've got a turkey gobbling over here and a turkey gobbling over here, as long as those two turkeys are keeping each other gobbling, you can move in and set up on one or the other. And it's a really great way to keep them distracted and not necessarily know where you're at. And then you can move in and do whatever setup you want. If it's elk, you can move in and throw out some cow calls. If it's turkeys, you can you can set up and, and you know make those putts and purrs and whatever you like to do. If it's red red deer, you could you could try roaring or you could maybe even just move in and see if you can get eyes on the animal that's being distracted and calling to the other animals that are in the distance. Now another strategy, if you've got two animals that are calling to each other, one thing you can do is what I like to think of as like an intersection and an interception. So there's there might be two animals, a scenario where you encounter. It's thick cover, and you've got two animals that are calling to each other, right? But what I like to do is decide what are those sounds doing? Are they moving closer toward each other? Are they moving in one direction? So maybe the, the predominant wind's from the north. Is everything, is if you've got two animals calling, are both of them moving to the north? Are both of them moving kind of toward each other what's going on now if they're both moving toward each other what i like to do is try to intercept or maybe one staying stationary you got this one over here and this other one's moving to that that let's say you got one on the left and one on the right the other one's moving to the one on the right what i like to do is try to intercept the one that's moving so i'll move toward the one that might be stationary or if they're moving toward each other, move where I think is the middle, but intercepting the one that might be moving. Because what that allows me to do is I know that particular animal is 
is receptive to a call. He's being called in by uh, another living animal. Uh, he's, he's saying, okay, I'm going to go to whatever that is. And what I try to do is I try to put myself in between those two animals and then trick one or the other into thinking that I'm now the animal that was calling. So I'll get into a position where I can intercept one of the calling animals and then I can either decide, well, okay, stay quiet and let this other animal behind me call him in if I can kind of, and then just keep ju- like moving my position towards most advantageous, hoping to intersect him. So did that the first day of this last time. It was like one's calling, we were in position, one came to us. We didn't, we didn't even actually have to call that one in. Now there's a lot of scenarios where that doesn't work, where one's moving and, and then I can now let out a call and that animal now thinks that I was the one that he was moving into anyway, so he's going to come and investigate. That's a really good way to call in well, any species of animal that's performing the same behavior, especially when it's in that thicker country because they can't see what's going on. They're using those vocalizations. So the benefit to hunting heavy cover when animals are being vocal is that they can't use their eyes as much. They have to come in close to investigate. So it's a lot easier to trick them with those sounds by calling back or to get into a position where you can cut them off and um, and get within range that way. There are a lot of advantages to moving in undetected, to moving in without making calls. So I would say my predominant hunting style, like I've, I've said before, I like to be vocal, but there are some advantages to moving in undetected. And what that is is it allows you to kind of get eyes and lay eyes on the animal that you're hunting. So if you're in an area where you say, look, I'm looking for a certain type of elk and you don't want to have to be chasing them. If they're, if they're in a position, you can move in quiet and then you can say, okay, this is an animal that I want to hunt. This is, and also understand like what's the dynamic of the herd or the animal that you're, you're hearing. Does he have females with him? If it's elk, does the bull have cows with him? If it's a, if it's a, uh, you know, a bull, is it like a bull by himself or what's he doing? What is he a mature bull that might be easily called in with cow calls or is it a really, um, young bull that might get scared away by a, a big bugle. Like we, if we can move in while these animals are making noise undetected, it allows you to kind of better assess the situation. Also, maybe what you're hunting with makes a big difference. If you're bow hunting, most of the time you're going to be hunting with a bow. In my particular instance, I was able to hunt with a rifle. You know, that kind of can gauge it a little bit, but moving in undetected without saying like, as soon as I call, that animal knows where I am. So if I move in without calling, I can kind of assess the situation and decide what's going to be the best course of action after I've got in tight and can see what's going on. And many times, once you've got in tight, then you can kind of make a really good decision on what call to make. So if, if let's just throw out the example. If I snuck in on a bull elk that was calling and I didn't let out any other calls, he's just calling to another elk that's across the way. I've moved in undetected now. I got eyes on him and he's like, let's say 65 yards. And I see like, there's no cows around. I could probably throw out a cow call and get that bull to kind of investigate. Maybe he thinks, oh, my bugle drew this cow in and he's going to move over and take a look. And I'm already close enough to trick him and get a good shot. A good question you could ask would be, well, when do you go back to calling? If you're moving in silent, um, when's a good time to pick up the calls and start calling again? And that's, I believe that a good time to call is anytime you can't pinpoint what was originally calling. So if you've got two animals calling toward each other and you're letting them 
kind of call toward each other and be the locator for yourself, right? You've got two bulls, they're bugling back and forth. As long as they continue to bugle, you can pinpoint them. Once they stop, you're just walking in the timber. You're just still hunting at that point. So I would always switch back to calling. So I'll, I'll throw out a bugle, I'll throw out whatever call to try to see if I can get them to fire off again. Every time I get them to fire off, then I know where they are and it allows me to make another move. Once they go quiet, I can always assume that they were where they last called. Maybe they bedded down or something happened, but it's not always the case. Sometimes they move over a ridge and they've moved out of earshot. Uh, so when they stop calling, then I use my calls to kind of pinpoint them again to move in closer, uh, especially if I don't have an animal really fired up, but he will respond to those locator calls. One thing I, you might notice is when you're calling to animals, if you're far away, they tend to respond real well. And then as you get closer, they might do one of two things. They might quiet down or round up the cows or whatever, if you're turkey hunting, round up the hens and, and move off. So what you can do is when I move in and I don't know where something's at, I always first make my calls like quiet and make them seem like they're in the distance. So I turn around, I call the other direction and try to quiet them down. Uh, that might be if through a bugle tube make, using less air pressure. That might be covering it or muffling it. Trying to see if I can get something to sound off because I've had times where I've moved in where I thought, okay, this is where I last heard him. I don't know if he's here. I bugle in that like distant bugle and he rips a bugle 20, 30 yards away because it's so thick I can't see just right there. Now, if I would have just given him the mean rip bugle, I've done that before I move in, give that bugle like a real confrontational bugle on a bull that wasn't really fired up, that was just kind of responding to locator calls, but not in that fired up situation, he's probably gonna maybe either grab his cows and go or just kind of slip out silently. And that happens a lot when you're calling to animals that maybe aren't fired up or you haven't got fired up that don't want to challenge you, but they don't mind calling to the other animals that are kind of off in the distance or periphery. I hope that helps some of you and, and just get your mind thinking about hunting animals in that thicker country and, and maybe some strategies to employ when you've got two animals calling toward each other but they aren't super fired up every time you go in. If you, if you keep encountering elk where they're, they're bugling, you let out a locator bugle, but you can't get them to just really fire up as you move in, then this is a really good strategy to use if you can get the two animals talking to each other in the distance and then moving in kind of undetected using that cover, maybe trying to intersect or intercept and understanding what that animal's doing and maybe what might work and then when to call and which direction to call. I think that you're gonna find a lot of success doing that. I know that there's been a lot of hunts where I've used these tactics in that thick cover for many different species from, like I say, elk, red deer, rusa, turkeys, uh, a lot of different species where you're just using that similar hunt strategy to, to get close, to get yourself into a good position and to make the right move. It was really awesome to be able to and get down to Argentina and, and have some awesome roar and rutting action. Uh, it's something that I've been missing, and it's one of those fun things because it's, it is like having a second elk season when the, the red deer fired up like that, when the stags are roaring. There really is nothing like it. Like If you like hunting vocal calling animals, if you're into elk hunting, if you're into turkey hunting, if you just like that vocal interaction, red deer is, is a very exciting animal to hunt especially during like the peak of the roar when 
and, and if you've got an area with really good populations, uh, it can get pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm actually, hopefully, we, I'm going to be doing the video edit here pretty soon. I don't know when we'll be able to release it, but uh, it, we've got some really incredible footage and some really cool encounters. It was pretty thick, so you and didn't really see the whole animal very often, but that's kind of the fun part of it. The thing that I really love about hunting that thick country is just those close encounters that you get. I mean, you'll have animals where it's like you can feel their breath as they roar on you. It's like that's such a cool experience. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to sharing that in the future. If you guys, if anybody's interested, I do have, um, you can check out my website. I've got some information on some of the hunts, you know, helping you guys set up hunts like this. So uh, if anybody's interested in doing like a guided red deer hunt or whatever, I've got through my um page there some information so you can contact us about that but uh yeah so next week i've got a really good i'm, I'm really excited about this because i want to do something a little bit different and um, a couple of years back i actually uh it was, well it's quite a few years back now i i was in alaska during the springtime and i heard about this guy that killed like got attacked by a brown bear while he was Deer, hunting deer on Kodiak Island. And I'd originally heard the story because I was in the same canyon. Um, this was years after this happened. But I was in the same canyon. You know, you hear all these stories, right? And you kind of think like, well, what, what story's real, whatever. And so I, I actually got to meet with this guy and sit down with him. And he ended up getting attacked by a bear and essentially fending the bear off with a knife. Uh, it's a pretty incredible story. And I was going through some old footage that I had the other day and, and came across this, this interview that I, I got to sit down with this guy and, and hear his story. And it was really cool. So I thought it'd be pretty fun to share that story with you guys. And as we start to plan out, you know, hunts and other things, I think it's always fun to kind of tie in a little bit of, you know, bear awareness, bear defense into some of this stuff. So I, I think next week we're going to do something a little bit different and I'm going to have somebody else. It's going to be kind of from my archives, but a story of, a bear attack that is really incredible. So I'm, I'm excited to share that and do something a little bit different. And then we're also going to be doing uh, some of the live Q&A. So make sure on next Thursday, pay attention to my social media. Um, I'll give you the time and everything, but it's probably going to be mid-morning on Thursday. So you can call in and that'll be for a live show that will air uh, a couple weeks later. So I'm looking forward to that. So plan some questions out and then look for that time and hopefully you can be one of the people that call in. The way the call-in works is as the call-in's on, uh, you can hear what other people are saying. So you can kind of listen to the podcast live. I think there's room for 20 people. If you keep getting uh, like a busy signal, that means it's full, but you can keep calling back because as people go off, you can get back in. I try to answer as many as I can within that 45-minute time frame. And so if you've got questions, that'd be a good time. Uh, and then... I'm really looking forward to doing a few more of those and, and getting that a little bit dialed. So I'm kind of learning about it, tweaking it. Each week should get better and better. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And until next week, I'm just going to say, roar on. I'll catch you guys later.